ever uh, thought about rapping about me? Oh, you want me to? Yeah. Okay, okay. You're a fashionista, beauty straight out of a soap opera. So powerful, nobody can stop you. You're ambitious and vicious, and only sometimes your style misses. But, but not like that. I got your back. We're a pack, Gigi. And this next match, it's gonna be easy. I gotta tell you, that, that, that sounds awful. You know, and we all have our 15 minutes of fame, and I'd like to take a couple of my 15 minutes to talk about the rights and the wrongs in the world of professional wrestling. This match is for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Rights and Wrongs Pros and Podcast. This is your host, Mr. Green, and thank you so much for tuning in. We have another week and another episode of WOW, along with some other uh, tidbits and notes and news that may be floating around the wrestling sphere. Things that, you know, just to kind of talk about and... and, uh, just open up the discussion, if you will. Uh, you know, I might as well just get into it. I was going to kind of find some appropriate place to, to put this this question, but I don't think there's any time like the present. Um, it had been brought up to me. I was already aware of it, but it had been brought up to me because uh, I guess this was new for, uh, for a co-worker of mine. Uh, that there are wrestlers who utilize OnlyFans. That's surprise, surprise. I mean, it's, I mean, let, let's let's not be you know totally shocked here. I mean, I, I clearly wasn't, but this was shocking for him, and it was shocking for him on the basis of well, I would think they'd get paid enough. So like these, they're women on national television, and it's like, look, bro. Um, I wish I could say that it was a little different. I really do. But the fact of the matter is, is that you have a lot of people who just do not make the money that they're perceived of making being on television. A couple of months ago, I was asked to uh, talk about Paige Van Zandt with a... um, Reporter online reporter for the Sun. Uh, she was trying to put together an article. Uh, found me and wanted to know if I had any opinions about it and uh, how pages presented and so on and so forth. The reason I bring her up is because she was probably the most public person that I can think of off the top of my head, and she does qualify. She was signed to AEW, but even through that, she did not have massive income either from mixed martial arts or allegedly from AEW I, I 
find that somewhat hard to believe since Tony Khan seemingly overpays a lot of people. But that's beside the point. The, the point here being is that she's been public. Paige Van Zandt has been public about the fact that she made more on OnlyFans than she ever made uh, fighting. This is not a an issue singled out towards wrestling, by the way. I mean, let, let's call a spade a spade here. This is just something that is common across the board. You cannot, and when I when we use the title OnlyFans, there are several different outlets and venues that a lot of these ladies use. As we know, Amanda Rose was part of that, but she didn't use OnlyFans. She used a service similar to OnlyFans where she could offer up exclusive content and we all know that there is never going to be a shortage of thirsty men out there who are willing to pay in order to see portions of the anatomy of these women that they've fascinated over you know uh, to any amount of money well I shouldn't say any amount of money but you get what I'm saying they are willing to pay. There, there are a lot of men out there that's willing to pay. And really, can we fault these ladies that have gone on to it? I mean, there, there are several, several. Jessica Havoc. Uh, Anna Varlow. I can't. I think that's her first. I can't remember her first name off the top of my head right now. I don't know why I just drew a blank there. Um, but we, we, those are two on the indies. Mandy Rose. Uh, Paige Van Zandt, who who was in, uh, fought at the highest level, still did not get that kind of money. And like I said, this isn't just centered towards female wrestlers. I read a story sometime back where there was a teacher, a teacher who was on. I mean, and I'm sure people have heard some variation of this one way or the other but a teacher that was on OnlyFans who's basically quit their job because financially there was no reason for them to stay as a teacher even though they went to school for it even though that that was their their, their passion in life when I read the article a teacher in Missouri uh, had to leave or she was put on leave once administrators found out that she had an OnlyFans uh, side job but <clears throat> she made it clear that she would not be able to get the money that she needed to cover her bills her loans her debt and things like that she said and this is according to the article mind you that it would have taken her 24 years that she calculated 24 years to take care of all of the bills, debt, etc. that she had on her uh, under her teaching salary, whereas she was able to do it with OnlyFans inside of a year. It's hard to tell people to turn that down. It's hard to tell people to you should not do this. How how do you even justify coming to somebody male or female I mean but we know that is most likely going to be female but how do you even justify telling somebody well you need to quit that woman is living the American dream 
she got rid of all her debt. <laughs> all of her debt. I wish I could do that right now. I don't have the assets for it. If I did, I'd probably be on OnlyFans. But you get the point here. I mean, I used the teacher as an example, but you get the point. And this was the crux of the conversation that that he and I had. You, How much can you really fault them for that? Especially when you hear these circumstances. I know the common thread there is that, well, they're just doing it because they're lazy and they can get more money if they just show their body and this, that, and the other. I'm sure that exists. But then you have cases like this where you have money essentially flashing you in the face that if I show some boob, <laughs> you know, and I have, uh, let's say, 500,000 subscribers, they subscribe to me for $2 a month. That's a million dollars. I'm sure OnlyFans gets their cut, but you, you understand what I'm saying. If you're Mandy Rose or you're Paige Van Zandt, you've had the, the benefit of television to put your face out there. I mean, it, it's enough when you're just an attractive female. Because you will be found if that is the case. What you do from that point is your business. Hey, I'm not, you know, I'm not advocating nor condoning this, uh, the, the path that some of these ladies have taken. I absolutely understand the path that some of these ladies have taken for that reason. Yes, did my coworker have a point that they should not be having to do this having been on national television? Yeah, they shouldn't have to, but the reality is, is that they do. And this is not a new problem. We saw or heard this story, what, uh, almost 20 years ago when one of the knockouts in Impact Wrestling, well, soon to be TNA again, was caught working at a, a sunglass hut because she did not earn a living wage working a national wrestling promotion. Is it fair of me to point out that TNA, I don't know, because I don't know what their finances were at that time. They clearly had enough money to pay somebody. They just didn't pay, uh, I believe it was Taylor Wilde that, that had that report on her. It was either Taylor Wilde or Madison Rain. I believe it was Taylor Wilde. And I can only imagine how embarrassing that was for somebody to recognize her working at the sunglass hut when they might have seen her on the pay-per-view a day prior. Who knows? But the end result is, is that this is going to happen. Now, it's probably not going to happen in WWE because they're going to keep tighter reins on that and they've already made an example of Mandy Rose. So I doubt that you're going to get much of it there. Outside of that, AEW, Impact, MLW, women on the indies, uh, for that matter, some MMA uh, ladies. Is it going to be shocking that they're on there? Not at all. Should they be on there? Maybe. And for that matter, who who am I to judge it? You know, who am I to judge that they used an OnlyFans? That they made extra money that way? They should not have to do it. I will repeat his talking point. They should not have to. But the reality is, is that it's going to occur. It does exist. They are going to have to do it the same way that this teacher in Missouri did it. I think I, uh, I had it down in my notes. Where is it? Uh, uh, Brianna Kopich, I think I'm saying her name right. 
that, like I said, this is not something indicative or exclusively focused on pro wrestling women. This is something that is just across the board. It is hard enough to make, and I don't want to go off into finances, so I'll, I'll say this and I'll move on. It's hard enough to make money to support yourself in today's environment just in general. If you're going to a promotion that does not have millions of dollars or multi-millions of dollars or billions of dollars for that matter, you likely could walk up into that situation. Whether you choose to go that route or not, that's a different issue. We've, we've seen other platforms be used. Twitch gets used oftentimes. OnlyFans gets used oftentimes. The end result there is that this is turned almost into a necessity, which is why I don't fault it. I mean, there's women, if I want to rope this into WoW, there's women that have wrestled on WoW currently that don't have an OnlyFans, but they do custom wrestling, which is like a step underneath OnlyFans. Wrestle barefoot, wrestling oil, wrestle, you know, they, they, they do the custom wrestling because those things pay. And they pay a fair amount. They shouldn't have to, but they're going to because the money is there. And it's almost like turning away a pile of money that is sitting on the table. So I have no problem with it. I, I, I would hope that most of the people that support them do not have a problem with it. I'm not saying you need to go out and, and uh, sign up to their OnlyFans. No, you don't need to do that. If you do, that's your business as well. But in, in today's environment, for those that have done it, I would hope that they haven't gone too far, but if they do, that's that's on them. And, yeah, I understand and I recognize that there are a lot of ladies that, that do this because the pay scale is a little bit unbalanced. You know, there's nothing really I can say about that. But it's hard enough on the indies. It's probably harder if you're a lady, you know, and trying to earn a living from it. And that has turned into one of the ways that they're able to make a living. We also have to talk about, and I'm going to jump jumping off of the OnlyFans thing now. Jade Cargill. I said when she was announced to go into WWE, I can't remember if I did it on the podcast or not, that she probably needs to go to NXT first. I didn't think that she would because they made such a big deal about her. But I said she probably needs to be in NXT. She needs to go and learn if nothing else, learned the WWE style. I had so many people. No, she doesn't need to go in NXT. Jade Cargill needs to go right to the main roster. She needs to go right. She needs to be in there with Charlotte Flair. She's good. She can go wrestle her. She needs to wrestle against Becky Lynch. She needs to wrestle against Bailey and, and EO Sky and Asuka and Rhea Rip. She needs to be up there with them. Well... Not according to Paul Levesque, Triple H. This is something I don't understand how other people couldn't see it, quite frankly. But this is something that the world should have seen. She is not ready to be on anybody's main roster other than AEW. And they did her a disservice by putting her where she was. The same. Now, I want to say this about Tony Khan. 
the same way I said that this is not a problem indicative to uh, just women wrestlers, that's not a problem just indicative to him. Those things have happened, and they've happened for a long time in the wrestling business when somebody, a promoter, falls in love with the body, and then they build around that. Vince McMahon has done it. Multiple people in WCW have done it. Other promoters across the territories have done it. This is not a problem exclusive to Tony Khan. That said, the quote that uh, Triple H, Paul Levesque, gave during the press when they were asked about Jay Cargill uh, was this. I have no less belief in her now than I did then. It's interesting. When she came in, we talked about her development and where she would land. I wanted to make sure that no matter what is thrown at Jay Cargill, she's ready. And at no fault of her own, I think she was limited in that. So the idea is we exposed her. We made her be seen. People are understanding and they are waiting and they are excited for her to come when she does. It will be massive. He has a very nice way of saying that she isn't ready yet. And I'm pretty sure that he, of course, he doesn't want to get up there and, and talk down on the investment that they just purchased because she's an investment. Like every other wrestler that they put a bunch of money behind their investments. So, of course, he should not ever get in front of anybody's microphone or and or camera and start down talking what they say. He, he, he shouldn't be up there like, oh, yeah, she's terrible. They did a horrible job in training her. We got to start all over from scratch. And, of course, he's not going to say that. But it is now understood that she isn't ready to do a WWE-style match. This is not a, a problem that used to exist largely in the uh, old days, the Federation years, the territories, because by the time you got to the WWE, for the most part, you were a pretty polished act. By the time Kurt Henning got to WWE, he had been in AEW for AEW. Okay, let's let's try that again. By the time Kurt Henning got to the WWE or WWF at the time, he had been in AWA for a number of years. He had traveled around. He had wrestled in Memphis. He had gotten used to what he was supposed to do. He had started to understand who Kurt Henning is. You can say the same thing about Ravishing Rick Rude. He he went a long route around wrestling up in the the Midwest going to Memphis, going to uh, WCCW, going to the NWA, going to WWF by the time he got there he still was working on himself just a little bit but he had gotten most of what Ravishing Rick Rude was down DiBiase, same thing you can go down the line with most of those people. They were polished acts by the time they got to where they were going. Jay Cargill was a trainee who was thrown onto national television, and she was smashed over top of everybody that they put in her except for the last, what, two matches of her career there? There's no way that you can look at that and say that she was ready for this, especially in an environment where they're going to expect you to be able to do 15, 20 minutes and do a good 15 or 20 minutes. They're going to want to put her in there with Charlotte, but she's probably not ready for that. They're going to want to put her in there with Becky Lynch, but she's probably not ready for that, and others. 
for that same reason. This is exactly what happened to Bill Goldberg. Him and to no fault of his own, and I'll say the same thing about Jade, to no fault of her own. They were placed in positions that they were taken care of in their initial company, and they were protected in their initial company. But when they left and they went to the WWE, in Goldberg's case, he was exposed. He couldn't have a good 20-minute match. People did not want to see him sell for 20 minutes. They had already made Goldberg who he was in WCW, and they didn't want that to change. And then when he was in WWE, it just didn't work out well. The matches with nobody talks about the matches that Goldberg had with The Rock or Chris Jericho or Triple H or Kane. You know, they, they, they just don't. Because it wasn't him. It wasn't the guy that people knew. It wasn't the guy that people wanted to cheer for. The only difference here is that Jade Cargill gets a pass. She is going to have the opportunity to go down to that developmental and learn. Now, whether she wants to have a big head about it, I mean, because I've seen the tweet where she's like, well, I, you know, I'll make my debut on my time. I'm going to assume that she's in character saying that. But I know she's had a bit of an ego in there because she has no reason not to. She has been protected and treated as a big star from the moment that she got into the wrestling business, more or less. Question now is how much of this will she take seriously and how good can she be? Not how good she was, but how good can she be? Conversely, or I should say, uh, you know, as a side note, this is a cautionary tale for WOW. Not that I expect them to go sending their talent out the the, uh, the bubble there, but I know that it has been said that Jeannie Bus would like to travel with WOW. When you travel, you're dealing with different audiences. You know, it's not going to be the same thing as having that that solid once every three month wild audience that's coming there to see a TV show be taped. Some of them are, you know, some of those luxuries that they have in that building will be lost if they take it out on the road because there's a lot of girls there who aren't prepared for it. I will make that public now. There's girls on that roster who are not prepared for it. Yeah, there, there's plenty of them that are. You could look at Jesse Jones. You could probably look at Siren and Holiday. You could probably look at Exile for what good that team may be for the you know the next couple of weeks or who knows before they split if they do. You could probably look at others, uh, Princess Ozzy. Uh, Penelope Pink, uh, uh, Vicky Lynn McCoy, and, and, and just, I mean, those are the ones that come off the top of my head. They could probably go and give you a good 15 minutes, but then you look at the ones who are only there in wrestling because it's wow. Goldie Collins, Katrina Jinks, The Beast. I don't think any one of them could do past five minutes. 
especially not if they weren't told to do it, if they weren't told how to do it ahead of time. It is a cautionary tale. What they what we are seeing with Jade Cargill now is the cautionary tale that Wild needs to take today. Because if they ever do travel, they ever get on the road, and they ever find themselves experienced with other fans, it could be, and I'll say could, a rude awakening for them. I have an audio track on one of these podcasts right now where somebody was in that audience while one of them was talking, and he tried to get a what chant going on, a what chant. In a wild audience, it probably wouldn't work, and it didn't work because nobody picked up on it. it was, you j- could just hear him off in the background, what? Let that happen out into you know a, a wrestling town where other wrestling fans are coming, and then they get bored, and they decide to do that just to screw with the, uh, the person cutting the promo. Will the Beast be able to, to pivot or handle that without getting frustrated? Don't know. Probably not. That's my guess. But, again, time will tell. If they ever hit the road, time will tell. I should probably make an, another few notes here. One, it had come to my attention when I was... Uh, going through unfinished angles and storylines. And it came to my attention that the audio that I used in the previous episode, episode 63's review, and it has Tiki Chamaro talking to the Tonga twins, like, hey, I got your back. And it, it had come to me that she also says, I know you didn't want my my good luck charm. You didn't need it, but I'm I'm here to offer you good luck anyway. I was like, when I listened to that, I was like, what good luck charm? When did that happen? When did she even attempt to give them anything? I don't know how I missed that the first go around, but I did. And it's another one of these cases of things that took place on this show that didn't actually take place on the show. And they have to talk it up in order for you to understand that, you know, this this happened. I was like, I don't know what good luck charm she is even remotely talking about. But that's wild for you. As of this recording, we are, oh, I'll say about six weeks into certain spots and stories and angles not going any further one of which candy crush and her did you see my match did you see my match with princess ozzy we haven't heard about that since october 14th october 14th as i'm recording this is december 8th that's been a long time and I'm sure that while I was just expecting people just to pick back up when they actually do get to it, because I can never discount, no matter how late they are, that they'll get back to it. But this is absurd that it would take this long to even mention it. It's like it just faded away. That was the last time we heard anything about it. The other thing was uh, Sophia Lopez giving 
the beast, this flash drive happened in the same episode. Air date, October 14th. We've not heard anything about that since then. You see where I'm going with with these things? I know that doing marathon tapings is very difficult. And trying to maintain the continuity is not as easy as it may be thought of being. But they, I don't know how they got to do a better job, but they've got to do a better job with that. They have to. They got to do a better job with that. It's only so long that you can have this amount of continuity error and not get on people's nerves. The kids aren't going to care because they're going to accept whatever it is that they're fed. But this, this should be cleaned up. One way or the other, this should be cleaned up. Since we are already talking about well, let's get into the actual meat of the program, shall we? Because I think it's about due. So this is episode 64 that we're going over here. The air date was December the 2nd. The episode number that Wild was going to go by is going to be 212. The title, Truck Stop Justice. Again, I don't name these things. You know, they, they are, are produced and named by the individuals at Wow. So, at the beginning of the show, we see Princess Ozzy come out to cut a promo. That is immediately interrupted by Jesse Jones. I don't have a problem with this because Jesse Jones is good at what she does. Princess Ozzy isn't bad at cutting a promo, but she has not cut one to my satisfaction that didn't get clipped off or take a nosedive because of the context of things that she said in it. But anyway, she does not really speak here. Jesse Jones essentially is demanding the title shot. Now, one of the things that gets me here is I don't know what path David McLean is lying in. Because Jesse Jones, for all intents and purposes, is supposed to be a babyface. Maybe she's a hard babyface, but she's a babyface. But then you have David McLean actively resisting or contradicting the things that she says on purpose. Like Penelope Pink gets a title shot. He he'll sit back there. Well, she was a former champion. Tormenta gets a title shot. Well, she was a Mexican champion. Things that really have no weight or bearing, theoretically, in who gets a title shot. Jesse Jones, as a personality on this show, has all the reasoning in the world. She's Tormenta had multiple title shots. She's failed. Penelope Pink had her title shot and rematch, and she failed. The only people that deserve a title match in her eyes are the Beast, because the Beast never lost it, and that makes sense. And she says here herself, and she goes, with all due respect, I have more, I have a better win-loss record than everybody going in that match, including you, pointing at uh, Princess Ozzy, who is the champion. All of that makes absolute sense. What doesn't make sense is that David McClain decides that 
she has to earn her way into the to the match, whereas everybody else is just kind of slotted into it. Now we find that out a little bit later on, but everybody else is just slotted into the into the match for whatever reason. Jesse Jones is the only one that has to earn a spot. Now again, keep in mind that the what do they call it? Championship challenge that uh, Princess Oz presented, but she had no idea what it was supposed to be, and Dave McLean had to figure it out. Princess Ozzy, of course, is going to be in this because she's the champion. The Beast is in this because she is a former champion who didn't lose. Penelope Paint gets another title shot, and then Tormenta gets another title shot, which seems to go against the entire grain of what Jesse Jones and the point behind this championship challenge match was made for in the first place. People who didn't get a title shot to get another title shot. But you have the same two people who's getting three of these people here uh, are the people who are going to get a title shot anyway. So I'm not really understanding the point behind this championship challenge. It doesn't make a lot of sense. When you're looking at it in those terms, the entire reason that they talked you up about, well, Princess Ozzy felt like no one gave her a shot. So she wants to give a shot to everybody. Well, these are the same people who had a title shot. And well, let me let me just finish up with a review of this 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 segment first. This is a good promo from Jesse Jones. She always does a good promo. Not really sure whether she's doing babyface with you know or heel. It comes off to me like a babyface with a little bit of heel bite. Ozzy said much of nothing. Uh, this is this is a fine promo. That is offset by commentary. Again, having David McClain sit there and justify why Tormenta gets in there and why Penelope Pink gets in there when they have, when Jesse Jones is clearly calling out the fault and the logic right there in the show. And then he says her winning streak has not been the same since she's come back. I was like, how is a winning streak not the same? You're either winning or you're not. It doesn't make any that doesn't make any sense. Why how is this winning streak any different? Either you have a winning streak or you don't. What has changed here? She didn't lose. Doesn't make any sense. <sighs> this entire thing, and getting back to what I just skipped. I don't mind Princess Ozzy as the babyface champion wanting to give match opportunities to other people. That I, I really have no problem with. She's not the first babyface champion in history to do it. She's not going to be last. Where I do have the problem is it, along with the things that I just said that didn't make any sense, like Jesse Jones having to earn a title shot when she's undefeated. She's undefeated. Why would she have to earn a shot? Why would she have to win one more time in order to get into this? when she hasn't lost by their own count in over like two or three years, if you're compiling all of the stuff that they did with, with the hiatuses included, why would she need to earn a title shot? But the thing that gets me more than that is why is Princess Ozzy even encouraging this match? 
it's one thing for the baby face to say, hey, I want to give Jesse Jones a title shot. Oh, I want to give the Beast a title shot. Oh, I want to give Adriana Gambino a title shot. She hasn't gotten one. You know, whatever. It's one thing to say that. To voluntarily get into a multi-person match where very likely she doesn't have to get beat to, to lose the championship anyway is like the height of wrestler stupidity. If she was forced into it, that's one thing. But she literally came to the ring and gave an, a vague enough idea that it landed her in this. If she goes into that match and she is beaten, she has no one to blame but herself for the dumb, dumb, dumb actions that she has taken. We move on to this next segment. BK Rhythm and Gigi Gianni having a conversation at the bottom of the wild steps. That's what we have to call them, the wild steps, because, you know, people always have to have these conversations at the bottom of the steps. Don't know why. I mean, I thought they had a locker room. They did at one point, but apparently that, that's not a good enough place to talk about whatever you're doing. This is uh, this is just a video with the Brad Pack. It's, it's nothing really important. It, I mean, you could take this as a character build um, with BK kind of uh, putting down bars for for Gianni for for whatever her bars are worth. But still, it, it that's that's all this is for. Doesn't really serve much purpose to it besides that. It's fine, but. Uh, yeah, it's just just a character building moment, I guess. Next segment: Spring Break twenty four seven versus the Brat Pack. This is where, oddly enough, Stephen Dickey acknowledges that Spring Break twenty four seven needs a win. I was shocked that he even said it, but I mean, just getting through the match, the heat here is on Sandy Shore. The Spring Break twenty four seven start off fine, but she takes. Most of the, the the punishment in the match as the Brat Pack cut her off. This is a fine tag team match, albeit there's nothing there to really root for or root against. I mean, that, this is a cold match. It doesn't have anything behind it. The most that you got is, as far as uh, adding anything of any intrigue to it is that the the Brat Pack had a uh, a vignette preceding the match. That's about it. Didn't really have much else to it. The Spring Break 24-7 really did not do much either. They didn't speak. And they more or less are just taking the same road that they've always taken. They're just there to take the beating. So in any case... Like we said, Sandy Shore took the bulk of this. She finally does make the hot tag, you know, to Crystal Rose. Comes in, does the cleanup. Tags Sandy Shore back in, you know, for a little too soon, you know, in in wrestling logic. <clears throat> but it didn't it didn't last. Sandy Shore tags back out. Crystal Waters tags back in. And then this is where the, the show kind of, you know, I shouldn't say the show, the match meets its, its end. Gianni comes back in, stops the, the pinfall on her partner, BK Rhythm. Sandy Shore comes in. She takes a great bump 
against the post. I mean, she took a great bump. Gianni tosses her through the top and middle ropes to where her body hits the, the post. And Shore just basically spun out in the air and just hit the floor. <laughs> so it was a great bump. I mean, look, that I'm sure spring break 24-7 understand that their role is to make the opposite team look good. And they did. Gianni hoists Crystal Waters up for a power slam. Uh, BK Rhythm comes in with a DDT power slam combination. I don't know if they want to continue that. I, I, <laughs> I don't like the look of that. I mean, in theory, it sounds good, but that just sounds like a neck break waiting to happen. I, I don't know if I would... I don't know if I would continue on with that. But it, it was a nice win with Power Slam DDT combo. A clean win for the heels. Um, that, and that was it. I did write down here, have we heard Crystal Waters and Sandy Shore speak before? And I put a question mark there. But I also added in a note, if they're a job team, it won't matter. I was just curious if they had actually said anything on the show. But if they're only there to do the job, leave them, leave them be. Leave them where they are. It'll be fine. The next segment is Team Spirit's Worldwide Tryout in the basement. You know, I'm not entirely sure why they called this a worldwide tryout when they had no intentions of illustrating any other location other than the same damn location that they're always in. It just, it just seems silly. They're like, well, this is a worldwide search for all of six people that they have in the in this baby. I don't even think they rotated the faces out. It wasn't that important for me to make note of who was in the the tryout thing, but I yeah. If I wanted this to look bigger, I would have at least shot on location someplace and we know that they're willing to shoot on location they've done it all the time why now when it could be useful to you that you choose to work against that it could have just been a hotel room in you know downtown LA or they could have gotten a set or they could have you know rented out some other location and said it was something else these are ideas that I said the, the previous time that, that they brought up this worldwide search and I it just for the sake of TV, they could have doctored it up. She's in Chicago this week, or she's going to have her shoot off of a phone so that it looks different than the rest of the show. Just anything to, to give that some level of credibility, but that that's neither here nor there is done. Uh, this, is, this is played up completely for comedy, and of course, she's... <laughs> Auditioning people who are clearly untalented and uncoordinated and just dare to be goofy and silly. And so she can do the same thing that she's been doing. Like I, I've likened the team spirit thing to old comedy duos. And when they had the three of them, I likened it to the three stooges. But they're back to being a, a Laurel and Hardy or Abbott and Costello Whatever comedy duo that you can think of that had a, a straight man and an idiot, that's what you got. You can say the Wayans brothers. <laughs> because 
Coach Campanelli is Sean, and uh, I was about to say Randy Rara, but she's not there. But Ariel Sky is Marlon. She's the idiot. And she's just there to be the foil or whatever for Campanelli. As I said, this is just a this is a comedy segment that it has no bearing on anything. Uh, next segment, <clears throat> Glory. It was a match: Gloria Glitter versus Santilla Chella. I can recall myself saying that if you are a commentator, you probably want to be the voice that is trusted. You want to have credibility behind the things that you say. This is one of those cases like, you know, that the commentators drag it down, the continuity drag the show down, the things that they do around the matches drag the show down. This is it's probably not enough to say it's dragging it. Maybe I'm being too unfair there. But he shouldn't make statements like this. This could be a 60-minute classic. This is like the third or fourth time that they said something ridiculous like this. Well, this could go all night. Now, in no point in the history of WoW have they had a match that exceeded 10 minutes on TV? You know, I'll go so far. Let's just go on the safe side and say 12 to 13. 15 if you're going to count the pay-per-view. But at no point in there, the entirety of this company's existence. Now, keep this in mind. Just just think about this. They were created in 2001. It's, two, it's 2023 now. Now, granted, there were massive hiatuses in between that. But at no point through its existence have they ever had a match that exceeded 15 minutes. And I'm being generous to say 15 minutes. And when I even say that, you could probably count on one hand how many got to that point. Maybe two. <laughs> Maybe two. What in the WoW's history would give him any reason to believe that? Or anybody else for that matter. When they said that about other wrestlers years ago, and you could probably take your pick, Botwinkle, Flair, Wyndham, Kurt Angle, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, whoever, uh, if they ever said anything close to these guys are capable of going all night, it's because they showed that already. They had a match that they probably went 15, 20, 30 40 minutes or so. No one here has done anything within a hair of that. They haven't done anything within arm's reach of it. They haven't done anything within a mile of that. So why he would sit and say something that absurd, and that's not to say that they couldn't. It's just a wild audience have not seen that. It would be a different thing if, let's say, Gloria Glitter and Chantilla Cella were on match two, having followed going to a time limit for, you know, straight 15 or whatever the case may be. But then they don't even apply like, they act like time limits don't exist there. 
Like this could take up the entire show. Really? Do you, do you actually think that it could take up the entire show? Like I said, there's no example of this of anybody in the entire history of while ever doing this. So that's not something that I would suggest that Stephen Dickey does. This match is the same thing that you get out of any Chantilla Cella match, or you know, for the few times that we've seen Gloria Glitters, is is basically the same thing. She comes out, she does her her aerobics or jazzercise or whatever the heck. I mean, she she has a microphone that she keeps on her face that we don't really hear her say anything through. So I'm not entirely sure what the point of that is either. But um, she comes out. She's holding the pole. She's doing the, the, the whole exercise deal. Chantilla Chella comes out, does, does her thing with a cape, gets up on the apron, tosses it towards Dave McClain. Of course, we got to toss the, the camera to shoot him as he puts the, the cape on somebody else. Uh, I, I suppose nothing's wrong with that. It could probably use a little less Dave McClain there, but, you know, hey. That's that's his moment to shine. He he likes to have the cape thrown on him. And the match, the match is fine. No issues with the match here. They worked really hard to try and make a cold match worth people sitting through and watching. And that's all this was. This was this was a cold match. I will say that I do like they have given glitter you know some some level of credibility and she deserves that i know she was kind of brought in with the non-wrestling crowd like a uh, katarina jinx and goldie collins but uh gloria glitter dalala doom deserves a little bit more effort they have seemingly given her that she hasn't been beaten into powder or anything of that nature so I am not upset with this at all, like I said, other than the fact that it is a cold match and they had to work hard to get the audience into it. Um, but that aside, they did it. They did a great job here. Chella and, and uh, Gloria Glitter did a great job of giving a match that people could be legitimately entertained by without having any pretense, without having any story, without having anything that – that would carry you into this, the match in and of itself, if you're a wrestling fan, it works. I really work when Chantilla Chella brought like a, a, almost like a spin heel kick, even though she didn't catch her with her heel. She caught her with like the inside of her knee and her shin to the side of Glory Glitter's head. But it looked good. It looked great that she was able to do that and get that hook kick around her like that. <clears throat> um. The match, like I said, fine. Chella has her place in, in, in WoW, and every time I see a match like this, it pretty much shows. Uh, she's there to help other people have a good match and have them look good, and she did that. She she did her job. Uh, the finish of the match saw Chella try after the heel kick that I just described, that hook hook kick I should say she didn't actually hit her with the heel she stood there getting ready to try to nail her with her cutter glitter gets up shoves her off 
As Chella comes back with the rebound, she gets caught in the admin with a knee, and that sets her up for what most people would commonly refer to as a pedigree, even though it's not a full-on pedigree. In her world, it is a what is it, aerobic annihilator. So double double underhook DDT, basically. But aerobic annihilator is the, is the the finisher that they're going to go by. And Gloria Glitter wins. She gets she scores the win and she moves on. So Glitter has not been buried. Glitter hasn't had to worry about uh, losing every <laughs> every chance her face shows up on the screen. So good on her with that. Next segment is Exodus and Keita Rush going into their match. Exodus, of course, followed by uh, Ice Cold and Genesis because they're still carrying on this this whole nonsense about exile having problems. Um, the commentators talk about both women having a martial arts MMA background. Uh, we really haven't seen a lot of that, but you know we'll we'll go with it. Uh, they really did not use a great deal of MMA or martial arts with them. They did use some, you know, with that came in the form of submissions. But they they brought this up to try to put to put to point across that this is an even ground or something like that. Both ladies have this kind of background and yada yada yada. Uh surprisingly, David McLean actually talked about while existing on a glory mixed martial arts event. Um, that event, <laughs> and I say surprisingly because that was a good while ago. Uh, but it was a it was a special attraction match that was uh, placed in a glory event. I'm going to assume that it was part of the pre-show. Because there's there's almost no information about that whatsoever. I mean, I've looked. If anybody else can find it, then let me know. But I, uh, anytime I've ever looked up, it, it's on Glory 37. It happened in 2017, April, not April. Why why did I look at my paper, see that it says January, and and April comes out of my mouth anyway? Uh, January 20th, 2017. This is six years ago. Okay, from from the point that I'm talking right now, this is over six years ago. The match that they put on there was Keita Rush defeating Steffi Slays. And as I said, I cannot find any um, footage of this. I know it happened because I saw the poster when it when it took place, and I I did see a clip several years ago. But outside of that, it's like I can't I can't find it. And him talking about it only comes across like do you have this footage <laughs> you would you would think that they would at least have worked it out that they could keep the footage or something like that no i mean and it would have been nice it would have been nice change of pace to say hey look we we had this match from 2017 keita rush versus steffi slays and and glory whatever glory 37 it would have been nice to have that to back up the claim. But as it is, you just have to take his word for it. I do know that this existed. It did take place. I am, you know, verifying it, although I cannot find any footage 
<laughs> that exists to uh, point you towards to watch the match. It just seemingly doesn't exist. But I am surprised that Dave McClain brought it up because most things like that they don't even acknowledge. Even if it is their people, they just don't acknowledge it. Uh, this match was presented um, as a somewhat disputed finish, and I'll get to that in a moment. Because I thought the outcome was fine, but I thought how the road that it took to get to it was a little off. And if, you're, if you've seen this, you'll know what I'm talking about momentarily. So they start this thing off, and they, you know, they, they pretty much are sizing this up as if they were going into a, you know, a shoot fight to some degree. I mean, they they got their fighter stance on, but it, of course, it results in, or reverts itself into a standard wrestling match, which is why I said I don't know what the MMA factor that they were trying to apply in in here was because. It, it wasn't really utilized all that much. You didn't see a lot of strikes. You, you did see some uh, submission, but you didn't really see a lot of the, the stuff going on. It was, a, it was more of a technical wrestling match than it was an MMA fight. And I think that that should have probably been the route that they were going with. It's like, you know, these are two technicians who have MMA background. It probably would have worked just as well. Uh, this may be the best match that Keita Rush has had, quite possibly. Because she, generally speaking, I mean, she performs well, but she doesn't get presented as a world beater, nor should she, but she doesn't get presented as a winner either. Uh Exodus, of course, did fine, and then I, I will reiterate what was brought up to me is that she does have a background in, in uh, uh, the Indies. She wrestles outside of of WoW, which you know only goes to solidify the the idea that you know there is a reason that I liked her, and that's probably it because she performs better than most. Uh, <clears throat> there are portions of the match where the timing seems a little off. One of which was there was an exchange that took place at the beginning, uh, a series of roll-throughs from the crucifix position with um, Keita Rush, and they're going back and forth. They're they're doing a a pin, I pin you, you pin me, until Keita Rush kind of shoves her off and then gets a leg scissors around her. But what happened there is that it took uh, two or three seconds for her to get there, which made it look like Exodus had to sit there for a while in order for this to be applied. Now, she she didn't do anything wrong. It just didn't happen really quick, and it didn't happen fast enough. It seemed it made it very evident that she was waiting to get latched onto. So... Again, it doesn't hurt the overall match. It just would have helped a little bit if if Keita Rush was able to clamp that leg lock or the uh, body scissors in quicker. You know, not to judge, <laughs> but it, it would have it would have been helped a little bit to, if she got in a little quicker. Uh, the end of the match got to where Exodus did a double leg takedown, 
and and took Keeter to the mat, which I thought was a nice touch because it didn't come off as it wasn't clean. And in this case, the takedown not being clean, it worked. I don't think a lot of the fans there really understood what was going on because they were really kind of quiet in this. But I, I thought that they did a, a, a pretty fair job and uh, and her doing the takedown and then sub, you know, subsequently getting locked into a submission. I think she got, I forget what they got, a go-go palata. I've always known it as a triangle lock, but I could be wrong. So, we'll, for the sake of this, we'll just call it a, a triangle lock because I don't feel like butchering any uh, words. So, Rush has the lock on her, and they are going through the old, I have a pin on you, meanwhile, you have a submission on me. That that is the the spot that we're doing here. The problem with this, and again, I don't have a problem with the end result. I just have a problem with how they got there. The problem with this is is that it's the referee by himself. This is another one of those cases where I'm like, somebody looks like they under they got the basic concept of what they were trying to do without understanding how they should get there. So what happens here is that Keita Rush has her shoulders down while still locking in the triangle lock on Exodus. The referee is coming in for the count. He counts down for three, but as the, I shouldn't say as the three comes down, technically it was after the three. I'm sorry to sorry to spoil Wild's finish, but the three count took place after the three. Now, I know that's not what they wanted to do because she, she was like maybe a second off. So what was supposed to happen is that the tap out was supposed to take place simultaneously with the pin. Here's where the issue is. There is no reason for a referee to argue with his own call. The referee counts down the three count. But then as soon as that's over with, he's, he's going back and forth like, I don't know. What are you talking about, Josh? She, she, she tapped out and you got pinned. And he's arguing against his own call, which is stupid. Either you make the call and you stick to it or you get it to continue on, but you don't need to argue against yourself. So he does this. Keita Rush thinks that she won, and then now he's got the confused look on his face like, well, I don't know what's happened. Well, she she tapped out, and you got pinned, and I don't know what the f- Sorry. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't mean to cuss there. Anyway, I guess I need to mark off where I, where I said that again so I can make sure that I bleep myself out. But anyway, he's going back and forth with that uh, – that statement. I don't know who did what and how and why. And then another referee comes out. He's uh, arguing, I, I guess, for or against some something the the, the the call. And then they go to the ring announcer slash David McLean, and they start doing the same thing there. And 
And Dickie and McLean are like, well, what's going on? I, I, who won? I'd never seen anything like this before. So the end is a no contest. It's declared a draw. What should have happened? Somewhere in this, the referee, who is the ref of record, should have been incapacitated somehow. I mean, this is this is what we've seen a dozen times. Now, neither one of them are big enough to run into this dude and him get knocked out. But if they had a strike where, say, Keterush ducked and then Exodus kicked him in the side of the temple, let's just say, to where he's dazed. He's knocked, not knocked out, but he's dazed. One of them gets a pin, doesn't you know he can't he doesn't see it because he's still shaking it off. The referee comes from the back. He tries to, to uh do the, the call. She kicks out. Now we pick up from where we left off. They get the uh the triangle lock applied. One's going for the pin, the other's going for the tap. Other ref comes around. One ref's looking at Exodus, the other one's looking at, at Keita Rush. The one ref calls for the other. And now they got a dispute. Like, wait a minute. She tapped out. No, she didn't. She got pinned. You know, that is what probably should have happened here. Rather than one ref who begins doubting his own call. Because there's no reason for him to doubt his own call. If you pinned her and you counted her down, then that's it. That's all there is to it. You do not have the referee dispute himself. If he does dispute himself, then you get the match to continue. That is what they've always done. They made the call. I look over. I see a foot on the ropes. I didn't notice this before. Oh, shoot. Now I got to pull your hand down. No, you didn't win. I just noticed the foot's on the rope. The match continues. That's what probably should have taken place rather than doing this. So now they go out and they they go back and forth in front of the ring announcer and Dave McLean. They come to the ultimate conclusion that, well, this match has to be thrown out. It's a draw because this happens simultaneously. Uh, fine with the ending. Did not like how we got there. So what winds up happening here is Keita Rush, after having here it being declared a draw, puts her hand out to Exodus. Exodus begrudgingly shakes her hand and walks off, which upsets Genesis. And that leads into a another segment following this. Now, before I go into that segment, I would like to say this about the match. Like I said, I, I really did not have a problem with the match. I thought the, the finish, other than the execution of the finish, I thought the finish in and of itself was fine. Because, and I doubt that they're going to do this, but because of like, okay, this now would give you something to work from. They just had a draw. Neither one of them was able to succeed over the other. And what allegedly was a battle between two people who are martialized. Now, we know Keita Rush is not too sure about Exodus, but that's beside the point. This would, if, if it were me booking this, this would have been the beginning of a best of, best of series. Whether that be best two out of three, best three out of five, or, you know, without, I, 
why audience don't need to go past three out of five. They probably don't need, need to go past two out of three. But I would have had a best of series. Like, okay, well, look, we're, we're going to come back to this, and we're going to have a match, you know, best two out of three between Keita Rush and Exodus. That way you give something to the match without having to have this big dragged-out story, and the match still has weight without, you know, needing the championship or something like that on the line. But, like I said, I doubt that that's going to happen. So the next segment is Exodus and Genesis are having a conversation at the bottom of the steps, at the bottom of the wow steps again. And Genesis is complaining about the handshake. Like, why would you do that? Which, come on. So she's being the heel heel here. Like, I wouldn't shake hands with them, blah, 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 you know, that type of thing. Uh, the note that I had here while they were talking to us, like, where did Ice Cold go? Why are they still having this conversation at the bottom of the steps? Is there no other place in this building that they can have a conversation other than the bottom of the steps? So this feels like exile is breaking up. This makes me sad because I wanted exile to be a team. I wanted them to grow. I wanted them to get the championships. But this does not feel like the route that is taken. You know, as a side note, Wild feels a lot like a local indie with high production value. I just, you know, when I was watching the show, I made sure to write that down because I, I kept hearing them advertise Los Angeles and this, that, and the other. This just feels like a local indie that happens to have a broadcast that goes across the country. It's very Los Angeles centric. Not, you know, despite the fact that they talk about a world's title. It's just it's very, very Los Angeles-centric. I just had to bring that up. So anyway, after we get out of the exile uh, breakup promo, which that's what it feels like, then they go to another promo, which has Lana Star behind a backdrop, which I, was, which I was happy to see, but I'm like, okay, they clearly have a backdrop. Why aren't they using this? They should use this more often. The backdrop could be justified using over and over again. It's, that's what it's for. It's for an interview segment. But Star cuts a promo on Penelope Pink winning the title back, you know, basically saying that she never lost in the first place and she should be winning the championship, except all the all the good heel manager stuff. This is fine. Next segment, Wild begins a video package on how we got to the championship challenge match, which by all accounts looks like a five-way what to do. Who knows? The history package shows the Beast's and her loss, they show Ozzy winning, they show everyone in the match, and as I was watching this, that, that was my note, this seems to be a five-person match with a different name. Not sure why Jesse Jones has to qualify, as I said at the beginning of this, if it's an open challenge, then why does she need to qualify? Why does she need to qualify, period, since she has an undefeated streak that has been brought up like two different weeks what are the rules for this? They haven't established any. And the most important note that I hear, why would the champion ask for this? Having a match against the Beast, having a match against Jesse Jones, having a match against Tormenta or Penelope Pink, all of those things make absolute sense. Why would you ask for a match that you're going to have to fight against for the people in order for you to survive it? And, we're, and still, they haven't established the rules for it yet. This is silly. 
and ridiculous on the but on the part of the champion. I'm not talking about the match in of itself, but but the champion doing that this is ridiculous. The main event. Miami's Sweet Heat with Lana Star versus the Mother Truckers. At least the truckers come off as angry. They charge the ring and they attack. And the ring announcer runs out, which reminds me. I was like, well, why didn't she do that when they had this unsanctioned match? Well, how difficult was it going to be to get out the ring? Because she clearly was able, capable of doing it. Anyway, this is a normal Mother Trucker match. This is... We start off strong. We separate. Holly Swag becomes the legal person in the ring. She gets beaten up for for an inordinate amount of time, and then she tags into her mom and then clean house. And that's pretty much what this was. I wish I could say that there was a, a better match or something like that, but, you know, it is what it is. There was a spot that Holly Swag was clearly waiting to, you know, for these, the next move to be executed. She goes over the, the top rope, comes out on the apron by the heel side. She's, uh, which one of the, Lori was talking to the referee, and Swag is waiting until she gets hit from her opponent. It's, it's regular stuff. I mean, come on. It's, it, like I said, it was just a spot that took place there that they were just, that Holly was waiting on to deliver. Wasn't bad, wasn't bad timing. I think the, the camera angle hurt that more than the wrestlers did, actually. Because they, they took it to a, a aerial shot so that you could see everybody. When Holly goes over the top rope and then she charges out, I shouldn't say she charges out, uh, Laurie charges out to the referee. I don't know why she did that. But assumably to get big rigs so she could distract the ref while they kick swag off the apron and triple team her out on the floor. And I, and triple team is accurate because Lana Stark got her licks into. Or at least, you know, she had made the effort for it. Um <laughs> Swag does well bouncing around for people. Swag is smaller than most of them, so it, it makes sense that she is the Sacrificial lamb that's getting beaten up on and whatnot. But, as I said, this is a standard mother trucker match. And once Swag got the uh, the tag in and Big Rig Betty comes in, that's the cleanup. And that's exactly what she did. She came in, she did the cleanup, didn't bump all that much, which I still believe is probably due to whatever injuries that she had that she initially retired for. But she's back in wrestling full force now. Not just as Big Rig Betty, but she's out as Amazing Maria somewhere. Uh, but most of this, she's on her feet. She does her, her standard shtick. A couple of clotheslines, a couple of back elbows, a couple you know, a super kick. You know, there is a somewhat silly indie spot that takes place there where she tosses uh, one of the sisters into the front face lock and then forces her to give her own sister a DDT. And then that move takes out of one of the sisters, and now you've got the mother truckers doing the, the well, I shouldn't even say the cleanup, but if the finish of the match. Big Rig Betty hits a stunner on, uh, I want to say Laurie. 
I can never get these two right. <laughs> I can never remember which ones were. Even even though they have hair that they have clearly made themselves distinguishable, I should probably do more time or dedicate myself into memorizing it. But anyway, so she gets a, a, a quick stunner, which looked awful. And <laughs> and again, I was surprised again. David McLean said, now he might not admit you know what I what I mean when I say because he's like yeah you know what a stutter it looked terrible, and and it did it looked terrible. <laughs> I was surprised that he even even came close to saying that, but she is a stunner. She goes down. Holly Swag picks her up while uh, lovely Laurie I think is on the outside. Lovely Lindsay, whichever one. She's on the outside, and then Swag hits her full Nelson. Um, face plant one two three that's it they're 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 done that's that the match is over the mother truckers beat them clean Uh, i'm sorry there wasn't a a face plant it was like a a sto using the clothesline as the means to take her down (sighs) they got their revenge pretty easily and it's like the I, i assume the feud is blown off but this is this went from problem being created to finish inside of one one match. And look, I I know that WoW is you know pretty short term with some of this stuff, but I, I not only was I surprised that David McClain would make a comment about somebody executing something badly on the on the show, or at least saying it was terrible. I don't know what context he was saying it in. But the fact that they went into this match and they not just won, but they won clean as a whistle the first time they got in there with Miami Sweet Heat. Like I'm not sure how often the mother truckers have lost. How are they not the tag team champions at this point? And like they, they seemingly have beaten up everybody that they've been in the ring with. This man event was underwhelming. It, it it was it it was a fine match, but it was underwhelming. I like, I thought that they would have taken this a little bit further. This was a match built for revenge, and you would think that as good as Miami Sweet Heat has been presented over the last couple of months, I mean they're two time tag team champions for a while, and they haven't lost you know very many times. I would have thought that this would have been a little more competitive rather than once the truckers are in there, then that, you know, once Big Rick Betty's in there, that's it. You're done. And it didn't feel like it went anywhere. It, it, it just, it started with them getting beaten up at the end of, uh, which match was that? The uh, Las Banditas Miami Sweet Heat match. And this was the comeuppance. And it was, and it was a quick, easy comeuppance. It didn't, didn't stretch out, didn't drag out, didn't go anywhere else, didn't no disputed finish, no feud. It's just, okay, we're done. Nothing wrong with them being done, but we're done. Where can you go from this? The mother truckers beat them and beat them clean. I think we've established who the superior team is now. And this, this just felt standard. Not a lot of back and forth, just felt standard. Where is Adriana Gambino in this upcoming match? 
she has made uh, statements about her wanting to get a title shot over and over and over again. They they built on her having this feud, this uh, not feud, this streak. She's four and zero for Gambino, and you know where's my title match? Well, why isn't she in this? I thought the entire purpose of this thing was for people to get the title shot that they never got the chance to have. So why is she not in this? What is the point of this? If and they keep talking about, and that's another thing. The main events. Twice now they've talked about what fans this could go all night or this could go longer than the time and if they if they do you're going to have to go to our YouTube channel to to uh see the rest of the match. Now, I do not have a problem with that statement. What I have a problem with is that if they're going to insist that Wild may go past this a lot of time, which they never do, but if they're going to insist that that happens, one of their matches needs to be a sacrificial lamb to support that rather than him just saying it. One of those matches needs to be a sacrificial lamb that this could happen or that a match could go beyond a break. They probably don't need to do it all the time but you can't tell people that, hey, these two could go all night when there's no evidence of that. Or we could go past that the the hour with our show. Or this match could go past the, the allotted time with our show when there's no evidence of that. And there's no evidence of any of those. This is just talk. That's all it is. It's just talk. So that was the entirety of this this show i mean it, it was an underwhelming show i didn't really find anything all that that interesting in it uh and on his own in a vacuum this show is absolutely fine on his own and in a vacuum this show is absolutely fine when you weigh it up against the things that have been built up when you weigh it up against whatever angles exist when you weigh it up against storylines that seemingly have not been addressed or concluded or even mentioned it starts to lose its luster like once you go through those checklists in there it starts to lose something and this show lost something with me it just did not deliver the goods on picking up on anybody's story on anybody's angle i didn't care about the mother truckers by the time it got down to the mother truckers versus miami sweet heat because i'm expected to have remembered the problems that they had a month ago. I'm expected to remember that beatdown and still maintain this, this this feeling of, oh, she needs to get even. I mean, even the, 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 the video packages and things like that just did not do this justice. Exodus and Keita Rush was a good match, but it's a cold match. Spring Break 24-7 versus Brat Pack was a good match, but it's a cold match. Gloria Glitter versus Chantilla Chella. Same deal. It's a good match, but it's a cold match. And then you got the beginning of it where you had the, the champion who really didn't say anything with the challenger who made all the sense in the world but still has to jump through hoops in order to get a title shot. And then a title shot advertised in a challenge match, a five-person, I don't know why they chose an odd number, but a five-person challenge match that essentially – is doing everything that she was trying not to do. Everybody here that's, you know, getting championship matches over and over and over again, I, I finally got myself out of them. Apparently not. 
<laughs> she hasn't gotten herself out of them yet. She's still dealing with it. She's still dealing with Penelope Pink and Tormenta. And now the Beast is the same people. And they pretty much have pointed the finger at the fact that they got the same people in the main event, in the championship match. Nothing's changed. Anyway, that is the entirety of this uh, this episode. There's really not much else to talk about here. I am going to tune in to the next one to see this five. Ooh, I hit my microphone stand. Uh, to see this five uh, person match, the championship challenge or whatever, whatever the heck they want to call it. I am going to tune in for that. I don't have a good feeling about it because they always seem to under deliver on things that they present. But maybe I will be wrong. Maybe they'll deliver the goods. Maybe it won't be underwhelming. And maybe, just maybe, it'll all make sense. That's what I'm pushing for. That's what I'm waiting for. If you like to support the show, be sure to hit the like button on this if you're on YouTube. If you if you are listening to this on your greater podcast platforms, please do subscribe. Uh, if you do not know where to go for any of these things, you can always go to WPNWrestling.com. That's WPNWrestling.com. It has the focal point, the center, the center of our universe is that website. It's got the 24-7 uh, stream for all old episodes. It's got all the podcast downloads there available for you. A couple of uh, blog posts that are there. A couple of pictures. I need to be doing some updating to that very soon. So stay tuned to that. Also, it's got links to all other social media platforms. So you can uh, check check out the Instagram and Facebook and whatever else that you may need to decide that you want to do from there. Also, you know, like I said, you can like this because it helps the algorithm pick us out and other people to find us. So I appreciate that. Your questions, whether that's sent in directly or the comments that you put on to the, uh, the videos themselves. Thank you for those. That helps. I enjoy the interaction. Be sure to go to our community tab. So I've been putting up some uh, questions there so some people can add or answer. Maybe a few little quiz. I need to find some more. I'll probably post up a, a few more as, as time goes on. We're, we're looking for new things to entertain the masses. And uh, having a good questionnaire about women's wrestling is uh, one of the things that we've come up with. So on that note, I will end as I always seem to do by telling you that this is Mr. Green saying that this is Mr. Green saying so long and we will see you on the next go round. Take care, everybody. And Dave McClain, stop it with the honk honk stuff. It's terrible. Thank you for listening to the WPN's Rights and Wrongs of Pro Wrestling. If you have questions or comments, please contact us via our Facebook or our YouTube channel at the Women's Pro Wrestling Network. If you're new to the WPN, feel free to subscribe to our channel and like our page. We appreciate your support. Thank you again for listening.